Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that doors are now open for our signature accelerator program. We are doing a major deal for this promo period where you get Critical Care Academy's CCRN review course absolutely for free as a bonus if you join us before May 4th. Our signature program is special because it's a one-time investment for lifetime access. There are no recurring fees. We want you to start this process early. So if you're in nursing school or if you are just starting the school search process, this is absolutely perfect for you. We walk you through picking schools, writing your resume, making sure you have all those boosters to make you stand out. We've got over 20 hours of video lessons along with an entire downloads vault of swipe files and templates. And of course, over 50% of the program is interview prep. We have five on-demand mock interviews. And then of course, a huge part of this is every month we have office hours where you can bring your questions and get answers. We have essay office hours with our expert developmental editor, Dr. Diane Katie. We have group mock interview practice labs, ad hoc guest speakers like SRNAs and other faculty. It really is a comprehensive program. And once you are in, you are in for life. You can head to the crnaclub.com to check it out. And again, the CCRN review course as a bonus, that ends on May 4th. So if you are on the fence, shoot me a DM at the CRNA club. I am hanging out there. But otherwise, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the CRNA club podcast. I have a very special guest on today. His name is Kyle Cradle. He has recently been accepted to a CRNA program. I will let you share about that, Kyle. And he has a very unique journey and just such a wonderful story to tell of perseverance, grit, networking, also really huge. He did a lot of great things that I think will benefit every single person who listens to this podcast if you are trying to get into CRNA school. So welcome, Kyle. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here for sure. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, Kyle, anything you want to add in particular regards to sort of your nursing journey and your nursing background? I started my nursing journey back um, like 2014, uh, where I first got into my first program. It was in an ADM program, Juliet Junior College. Uh, shout out to the Wolves. I graduated from there. I graduated in 2017 and then halfway through our program, it was pretty unique. So I was actually able to start working as a licensed practical nurse halfway through my curriculum. And just to, you know, make some more money while I was in school. So I graduated, then I did my RN to BSN bridge um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the University of North Carolina. I graduated from there in 2019. Um, and the reason why I had that gap year is because I just didn't want to pay, like, astronomical amounts for my BSN, which is, like, the difference between 30 grand and 5 grand. Um, and so I finished that up. And then, actually, I got start, started in my career um, at post-operative surgery uh, at the big level one trauma center in downtown Charlotte. I did the floor. I liked recovering patients. I uh, felt like I was really crafting my nursing skills. But uh, honestly, it just it just hit me that I was just getting bored. <laughs> I was getting bored giving the lot of every four hours, not really knowing the whys of things. Uh, every time the rapid nurses would come down, I knew that, like, man, I really like emergency situations. I really like to be helpful in those kind of situations. So it, it drew me to the MICU. So I transferred after, like, a year on the floor. And so I, I got to tell you, I, I was got off. I was not ICU. I was, was not prepared for that level of care. I thought I knew what I wanted, and then I got it. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean you were not prepared? Emotionally or just I, like? I think in all phases I was not prepared <laughs> for what I was asking <laughs> Just the level of patience and uh, the time management was so different. I had all everything figured out on my med search floor that when I got to the ICU, I was like a deer in the headlights pretty much every well, shift. <laughs> Well, now in retrospect, do you think that was because of a lack of a sufficient orientation? Definitely. I definitely feel like it was, wasn't was the best um, supportive environment for me. Yeah. More so like it was definitely like a personality fit that I, I did not kind of like vibe with my preceptors. Okay, okay. Uh, didn't really have those expectations lined out. So it was kind of like me, you know, drinking from a fire hose from day one. Right. You know what I'm saying? Didn't have that mentorship aspect piece of where like they're guiding me showing me the whys of things it was kind of like a sink or swim kind of environment that's not cool yeah and i i think that especially when you go to an icu <laughs> level of care type of place you need two to th two months three months i mean new grads get 
like typically, I think around the three month range, at least kind of 12 weeks as a new grad. So even if you have experience, you should be getting a pretty good orientation, you know, at least, I don't know, eight weeks, something more than that. So um, I don't think that's your fault that you felt totally overwhelmed. I think that has to do with the environment of the MICU that you were at. But okay, go on. You were a deer in the oh, headlights yeah. in the MICU, questioning your life choices, but you persevered. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'll t- I, I persevered in a different way. So I didn't even make it off orientation. I didn't even make it off. They they wrote my resignation and said, go back to the floor. Like, I was distraught, anxiety, everything. Just like a ball, and oh, ball of just tears. No, no, I was ready to quit nursing after that, I promise. No. If anybody this, I was ready to quit nursing after that. Okay. I promise. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> so I went back to my floor. You know, I kind of got my stuff together. But I still just, I desired that, that critical care, that emergency kind of stuff. So, you know, I... Transferred hospitals, I left, so I went to the ER, like level three trauma center. That's where I got my start. I was, you know, able to be in a better environment to really learn, be immersed in it. And I knew the ER was my thing. I'm an ER nurse more than an ICU nurse. <laughs> so I did that for two years until I, I had my shot again at the ICU when I moved to Baltimore. Um, and I worked at the RM's Cali Shop Trauma Center. I got my first trauma ICU job, and that's where I really had great preceptors, great training. You know, working at the world renowned trauma center in the world, it was it was definitely a great experience. And I, so I was able to be successful. And I think during that time between my time in the ER and going to the ICU, I was doing a lot of certifications like my CEN, TCRN. If you kind of look on my Instagram, you'll probably see I got a lot of certs, but for a good reason, um, just to show that, you know, I'm capable of pretty much any specialty that I can go into. I've learned I have the book knowledge and I can apply it to practice. So I was able to be successful for about a year in the ICU. And I did a little, and I did a year of cardiac while I was, you know, doing my applications for CRNA school. Okay, cool. I think there are a couple of gems to take away there. <laughs> Number one, if you feel like you're failing in the ICU the first time around, it's probably just not a good fit. You're probably not getting supported because you have showed oh, yeah. us that you were able to go back and be successful second time around with some good mentorship, some good leadership, a more structured, hey, these are your goals for your orientation, this is what you're going to be able to do after your first, second, third week. I think that's important to have those milestones. Um, it just sounds like that was just a way better fit and that had everything to do with your success. I think, uh, you know, sometimes I get these messages on Instagram that are like, I hate this ICU, blah, 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 like, but I just need to stay because I need to apply to CRNA school. And I'm like, don't, don't, because A, you don't know that you're going to get in this cycle. B, go to Life is short. Go work at an ICU that you're happy That you like. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're, like, literally submitting your application tomorrow, that's a different story. But, I mean, don't suffer and feel like you're drowning um, and, like, you're not being supported or, like, you're not thriving because you're going to be so consumed with the stress of the extraneous interpersonal drama that you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to focus on your patient. Like it's going to be a tough learning environment for you. Um, so I, I'm super glad to hear that you were able to be successful the second time around. So the question I have for you is at what point in this journey did you encounter a CRNA and then decide that you wanted to go to CRNA school? Or was that the goal from the beginning? Or was it like, was that why you wanted to get into the ICU? Because you're like, oh, I know I need this experience. Or when did the CRNA portion like land? Honestly, I I didn't even know what a CRNA was until I was in the midst of the trauma IC. I didn't even, like, I, I when I graduated nursing school, I was looking at, you know, BSN to DMP, looking at ACMP, you know, I looked at CRNA, but at the time when I was a new guy, I didn't really know what that was. I was just like, oh, nursing anesthesia, they get paid the most. You know, I didn't really know about the profession. And then when I encountered, actually, CRNAs, I was in the trauma ICU, and I was actually, a funny story, I was getting ready to drop a dob off small more NG tube. And my patient, Brady Down, he was a code critical airway, and we did a code, and the CRNA came in, and she intubated, and she actually, you know, got the patient intubated, dropped the A-line with, like, seconds. It was, like, amazing yeah, the way she did it. And you got the patient back, you know, we inserted the line and did all the things. But uh, that was my first encounter, and the reason why CRNA kind of came into the picture for me to really start thinking about it was, you know, I was working at one of the top trauma centers in, in the country, and Nurses, you know, that I worked with were always, like, talking about how the CNA, CRNA, talking about applying. And, you know, I, I was doing my job, you know, not really paying them any attention. But also, I just kept my ear to the conversations that they were having. You know, I was like, yeah, you know what? Let me go down down to the OR, you know. I hit up the Instagram account at STC Anesthesiology, and they let me come shadow. And I did a day, and honestly, I did a day. I did think I did um, a Taver case. Um, and... I did the case. It was four hours, and I walked away not feeling anything. 
not feeling anything at all. And I didn't know why. You know, I got my paper signed. I was like, oh, I might need this for applications down the road if I do apply. So I got my got it signed, and you know, I and I shadowed with the H, uh, SRNA. You know, they were asking me where I was applying, and I was just like, oh, I don't really know. Just that kind of vague with it, but I just didn't really feel inspired. I didn't feel a, a, a emotional pull after that entire case. And I was like, okay, they intubated, but I didn't really know the whys of what they were doing. And so I was like, huh, I don't know if that's for me. I was like, kind of, I was like, you know, I was bored. I don't really like that, you know. And, <laughs> and then a, I started a taver, about it. a taver, it can be exciting, but a taver also isn't like. From a trauma nurse's perspective, probably yeah. not the most like thrilling case for you to see. And, and as exactly. now, like, and you'll see, and I'm sure you have observed this because you've shadowed many hours. Anesthesia providers like boring. We like it to be chill. <laughs> we like. <laughs> yeah, now that I, now I day. know, now I know why. Good day in the <laughs> offices for it to be boring, but um, but yeah, so interesting. Okay, keep going. You're not that thrilled. You're like, this was our first date. No. Don't know if I want a second date. All right, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I put it on the shelf, you know, I got the paper signed. I was like, all right, cool. I got my shadowing experience if I need it. But I just wasn't feeling inspired. So I went that entire year, you know, like, you know, what? I want to be a flight nurse. You know, that was actually my overarching goal of nursing when I got to the ER. I wanted to be a flight nurse. I wasn't even really thinking about CRNA. And then over time, I was working in the trauma ICU and just doing those grueling shifts on nights, no staff, all the bed, bed changes and dramas and MTPs and whatnot, open bellies. Oh, God. I'm just like, man, I need to get this ICU experience so I can get in the air as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. So that was like my biggest goal, getting all the certifications. That was my big goal. Um, so I put the CRNA thing on the shelf for a while, but I got tired of working in the trauma ICU every year. And so I left. I actually went back to the ER, mostly because this is like during COVID, pay was still pretty good. And I was mm-hmm. getting like, like upper, lower 3K a week. So I was like, all right, I'm going back to the ER. Nice. And during the time, yeah. And during this time I was making some money. I saved up enough and I finished my master's degree off at the end of that year in 2022. Mm-hmm. So that COVID money kind of helped me finish my master's degree. I went back into the ER and I was just like, oh my God, this is awful. Like getting four to five patients, <laughs> drug overdoses, all the different things, getting stretched to the max every night, yeah. codes whatever and people people coming in for like a stub tone now so i was just like you know what like i just need to get out of this career field i, I need to either get in an environment that i'm more passionate about that i feel like i'm actually getting somewhere right i was like i can't be er nurse for the rest of my life mm-hmm. you know like nursing is not the way it is anymore and people are not staying at the best side for like 20 or 30 years and so i was like you know what maybe i'm gonna do you know a key care nurse practitioner mm-hmm. you know just sitting online in the middle of out like 3 a.m looking at programs i was like you know what i finished my master's degree maybe i want to teach but the pay pay was everything for me and i realized at the time where i was like i had my eligibility to be a flight nurse i was ready to apply i was like man looking at the long-term game i was like the pay was not enough for me to go back to school or to take that job especially during the times where like inflation is everything the dmv is like one of the most priciest areas so I was like, you know what, like, maybe let me go back around and think about nurse practitioner or something more, you know, profitable, better return on my investment. Exactly. What's the ROI? Money. What's the ROI? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And neither of the career fields, but CRNA, it was the best return on investment. And then I really got to thinking about it. And I was like, you know what, what I know about the profession, I know I like getting out of my chair when everybody's about to, somebody's about to get into bed. I know I always wanted to get out of my chair and go watch. That's when I kind of knew like, mm, maybe I want to go come back around to CRNA. And so what really kind of motivated me since then um, was that I followed Dr. Gould from Diversity CRNA. I was kind of following her for a while on Instagram. And then I saw that they had a conference at VCU, which is the school I actually got into mm-hmm. that September. And I was thinking about going to it. I registered and everything like that. And I shadowed um, again. So I was, when I was really serious about going um, to CRNA school, I got back into the cardiac ICU. I was like, you know what? I've been watching this on Instagram a lot. I'm seeing a lot of CRNAs who, you know, look like me of color. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to that event. And so I got back in the cardiac cardiac ICU and I knew that, you know, I need some good cardiac experience under my belt. And so I went back over to, I know, which is across the street, suburban level one trauma center. And I was getting my experience. And then I actually, not even before I got off orientation, I went down to the OR. I sent an email found you know somebody to shout to give me some shadowing experience and I got there and Melissa Divin CRNA she's a UK grad she was I was paired with her for my first shadowing experience and I forgot the case that we did but I think we were in the EP lab and you know she really got me excited about this question uh she showed me like the whys of like you know how you mask a patient 
or you know what size tube select training she was doing her pre-op and then just she was excited because she was a recent grad so i feel like that was the biggest difference as well was that she was so excited to be in the profession that she kind of rubbed off on me a little bit she's like where are you thinking about applying and i was like maryland vcu or whatever she's like you know what if you need anything you know she was just such a great resource for me you know we exchanged numbers and she actually wrote me some shadowing experience um, numbers that I needed for school. She did a couple of letters of recommendations for me. So she really got my fire for anesthesia. Really, that's where everything kicked off was when I shadowed it again. And when I started to learn like how much responsibility, it's not just about the skills, but how much responsibility and really got to talking about the school process and the applications and how it's a lot. But she said, you know, I've never met a CRNA who didn't like their job. Mm-hmm. And it holds true. Every CR and I have met, they love their job. Mm-hmm. And they love what they do. And it incorporates all of their emergency and critical care skills all together, which is what I like to do. And it's a higher level of learning and you're more autonomous. You know, all the cliche things everybody says, but it's true. But it's true. Mm-hmm. For, for me, like, that's what it is. I didn't want to be a nurse practitioner, you know. No respect, no disrespect, you know. I just I just couldn't see myself treating from either in a in a limited role with a lot of supervision and also, you know, I'm fighting with other, you know, PAs and stuff like that to get time in ICU to learn skills and things like that. And kind of treating from behind the computer. I didn't really like that. Yeah. So, and I just watched them at the bedside. And I was like, that's not really what I want to do. Right. So, and then that September, you know, I went to diversity CRNA. And I tell you that that event changed my life. That was the, you know, most inspirational weekend that I've ever experienced. And I actually got to meet, uh, you know, my program chair. I got to meet my program director. I got to meet, you know, a lot of CRNAs who already went to VCU or graduated from VCU or who are in the program. Mm-hmm. So I, that's when I started to make all those connections. And I'm, they made such an impression on me at the school that I knew that that was a program that culturally and personality wise, it was a fit for me. And I, I think I remember going up to uh, my program chair and I introduced myself and I said, hey, you know, my name is Kyle Secreto. And making a connection with her, telling, letting her know who I was and letting her know how passionate I was just about teaching and education and things like that. And really kind of establishing that rapport. And that's where it all kind of started to kick off. But, uh, yeah, when I shadowed and I went to diversity CRNA, those, that's what prompted me to mm-hmm. get ready for to school. Right. And I think because I needed to feel passionate. You needed sure. to feel passionate. And I think that's why it's so important for people to shadow a couple times. Some programs, they're like, yeah, OK, eight hours. That's fine. As long as you know what a CRNA does. Other programs which are more competitive, you know, you need upwards closer to 40, that sort of thing. But regardless of what the schools want, I think it's just so important to shadow, at least to me, a couple of times because you need to have uh, diverse experiences and meet different CRNAs and then you're gathering more of your why. The first day you go, you're deer in the headlights. You're like, whoa, I'm just like trying to find scrubs from the scrub machine. I'm sweating. I haven't eaten. I'm so nervous. I don't know how to talk to people in the OR. I'm wearing this bouffant cap. I feel terrible. Second day, you're like, okay, all right, I've been here before. I totally, I kind of understand the blood and guts thing. I'm not going to pass out this time. All right, get my bearings. I can ask some better questions. Then third day you shadow, you're like, okay, narrow it down. Tell me what you liked about your program, what you didn't like. What would you do differently? You're like, you're like laser focused. It kind of takes some time to kind of yeah. get to that progression of like, whoa, totally overwhelmed to like, let me ask some thoughtful questions and like be very clear headed about this. For me personally, that's kind of how I operate. So I think it's great that you didn't give up, went back, shadowed again, didn't cross it off your list. And really, I think when you meet people and have conversations with people that you respect, like the people at Diversity CRNA, like, you know, the CRNA that you shadowed, you get to hear their perspective and you really can see and feel their enthusiasm come through. You're like, wow, why are they so excited? Uh, Why do they love this so much? What is this about? And then you can kind of, you're hearing these themes. You're hearing these themes when you talk to people, you know, your program director, you're talking to other students. You're like, oh, they all really love the autonomy. Oh, they all really love the critical thinking. They all really love being able to do procedures like central lines and doing awake fiber optic intubations. Oh, I really like that too. So putting yourself out there and getting exposed is huge. So diversity CRNA, um, for people who are not familiar with that, can you give us just like a very brief high level rundown of what that is? Yeah, so diversity CRNA is a mentorship program that encompasses um, critical care nurses from multiple walks of life, people of color, um, who have been marginalized from nursing anesthesia programs across the country for a long time. Uh, 
and now that nurse anesthesia is a profession where it's not the best kept secret anymore from what I've heard from multiple CRNAs is that it's a way to increase the number of uh, diverse CRNAs providing care, you know, to and gaining admission into nurse anesthesia programs across the country. Uh, they offer free mock interview services. They offer uh, advanced mock interview services, resume reviews, personal statement reviews. Everything is free. And then, you know, and becoming a member actually really was, that was a big part of my application process, um, if I'm going to be honest. And that's, it was a program that is going to open doors for you to make the, make you not feel alone in, in the application process. So I'm a member, I'm going to be a for life member. That program is really great. Um, and just all the CRNIs that I've met through the program, they've really been a great resource for me. Even when you get into school, you always have a, a village of people, you know, keeping, cheering you on. It's really a community of people. And I think that's the biggest thing about the whole process is you really build a community, a community within yourself when you go through the process, you know, and reaching out to people. But yeah, definitely become a member, interested, look it up. Yep. So in addition to the things you just mentioned, there's also events, right? Tell me a little bit more about like the events. Like you've gone to quite a, yeah. a few of them, right? Yeah. Uh, so I've gone to two events. So they, uh, they host four events per year, uh, at different nursing and senior programs across the country. Um, pretty much a lot of major programs as far as, uh, VCU, uh, University of Pittsburgh. Uh, they also have different types of program directors coming from across the country to where they can come speak about their program and introduce you to the nursing anesthesia profession. And they have them four times a year, I think in May, uh, some in June, July, August, and then September. Uh, so uh, the one that will be, the last one for this year will be at Virginia Commonwealth University and it encompasses Florida International um, Nursing Anesthesia Program, University of Cincinnati, Virginia Commonwealth University and Old Dominion University. So it's a great way for you to not only, like if you're interested in some of those schools, definitely you wanna to go to those events, but also you wanna go just to really understand the, the application process and really being around people who have gone through it and have been through it. And that's a way for you to kind of get guidance that a lot of people feel like they haven't had, even in past experiences, as far as dating back, like there was not a lot of programs like this for nurses of color who worked in the ICU. You know, and so I think it's just a great program that you can go to really meet program directors, make connections with CRNAs, SRNAs, and understand the entire application process besides just, you know, looking onto my application site and, okay, if I just meet the requirements, it's, it's more than that. It's more than just what the program requires on the face of the website. It's really about you getting you ready, you know, to travel the journey of becoming a CRNA. That's what the entire mentorship program is about. I like that. I like how you said it's, it's about getting ready to travel this journey because it is. A prepared applicant is a prepared SRNA, is a prepared CRNA. Um, it starts starts in from the beginning. So you do like airway skills and you, you actually get hands-on, really cool, engaging yeah. experience, right? Okay. Yeah, so I'll, t I'll talk about um, the process. So it's a, it's a meet and greet that usually kicks off for the first day um, in the afternoon. You get to learn the landscape. You get all of your items as far as lanyards, your uh, planners and all of the agenda that's basically for the entire weekend. And then you get to just meet all everybody that's a part of the mentorship program uh, and really just immerse yourself in the process and making you feel comfortable. You know, that's how I felt when I first went. I, I felt comfortable. I felt like at ease. I felt, you know, like in a welcoming environment of people in a profession that look like me, you know. So that's pretty much the first day of you kind of networking and, you know, you know, putting yourself out there and asking questions. Mm -hmm. uh, they break out into a session where, they just kind of just scatter around and people just are, it, everybody's an open book. You can go up to any kind of group and just talk about anything. If you're a nurse anesthesia applicant who has kids, you know, there's people who have kids that you want to talk to who are SRNAs and CRNAs. People who, you know, are single and, you know, they're just trying to travel the journey and you're wor worried about like, how do I take care of myself the next three years? You know, you want to go to that applicant or people who have, you know, disabled kids or, you know, family members they have to care for. There are CRNAs and SRNAs who have gone through that. So just every walk of life that you can get at the first day is there. And it's a Q&A session and it's an open book and you can just mingle and have fun. And then uh, day two is where the information starts. It's 8.30 to 4. And you go through the process of learning about DMP projects uh, for nursing and senior programs. You they have a student panel that encompasses nursing and senior students who are in the programs and who have gone to the event. And you break out in a big session and then you're able to just ask them questions about the, the journey, application processes, clinicals, didactic, different types of programs that you want to think about. 
you know, costs. Any questions that you have about the process, that's the time to ask them. Then they also have a director panel. Um, and you can ask the program directors, you know, face to face, you know, about their program. What do they like about the profession? What does it take to get it into the school? And them really telling you, you know, what they're looking for in applicants. So I think that's a great, you know, way to, you know, make yourself stand out. That's definitely one thing I did um, was I got up there and I was asking all kinds of questions. <laughs> You're like, they're going to know my name by, by noon. Exactly. exactly. By noon. That wasn't the goal, but, you know, I guess just I, I feed off of energy. So, you know, I'm more interactive when I'm around people and I feel comfortable. And then they have a big mock interview um, session as well for people who are applicants. They get randomly selected and then you go up and then you do a mock interview and you get critiqued by the program directors themselves. You get feedback. Ooh, you no know, pressure. Get, no get, yeah, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so actually, I mean, when the first event I went to, I actually, there was somebody that actually didn't show who got chosen for a mock interview. So I actually didn't even get chosen for a mock interview until like during the session. And they're like, oh, we need one more person. And so I'm just like in the room with like 200 people. I'm just like, you know what? I'll do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mosey my way on up there, you know, all, all geeked up. And I'm like, you know what? I haven't done any. I'm telling this to myself as I'm walking up there. I'm like, man, I haven't done any practice, but you know what? We're going to do it. You know, yep. <laughs> hoping people hear me so that I have an excuse to when I mess up and like, you know, totally. just totally. fail horribly, then I have an excuse. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I get up, <laughs> so I get up there and then um, they, uh, Dr. Perez, he, he he asked me the first question. I'm like, God, Jesus. You know, I introduced myself, say, you know, what what trauma centers I worked at, my ICU experience, my clinical background, and he asked me if I had applied to a program yet. You no. Know? And then the first question he asked me, he was like, Why do you want to be a CRD? You know, the run of the mill question. Right, right. We um, all know it. It's coming, but why yeah, do we why do we like, are like, I don't know. I don't know why I want to be a CRD. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't, I don't even know, know. why I'm here. Why are we here? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I I'm just here, you know. Yeah. But so at first, you know, I took this nice two to three second pause, like, oh, I really don't know. I and I thought, <laughs> and so I just take, I close my eyes and I take a nice deep breath. And then I just say the first thing that comes to mind. The first thing that comes to mind, I was like, verbatim. <laughs> I want to provide anesthesia services for people who look like me. Uh-huh. You know, and that's the first thing that came to my mind because I, at the time I'm thinking of like, man, like this is a profession that doesn't have many multicultural CRNAs. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I want to provide, you know, care for people who look like me. Mm-hmm. And I want to provide mm-hmm. compassionate care for people who, you know, are undergoing surgery. And I think those are the first things that I said. And then I was like, all right, here's the moment where I'm about to start to ramble. So let me just let me just pack it up. I'm going to leave it at that, you know, nice quick two sentences straight to the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the room was just kind of silent. And then they started the director reviews. And then uh, the University of Cincinnati's program director was like, I like it. <laughs> Short but and I need sweet. More. It's catchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I need more. Right, right, like, right. But yeah. why? Like, yeah. you're leaving me wanting more. Right. You know? And and now that's when I really started to really think about it. I'm like, you know, it, you know. It, She's right. Like, I need to figure out more. There's more to, like, why uh, Why do I want to be a CRNA? So that thing, when she told me that, it made me figure out, like, I need to get deeper into the why. Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to be here? Why am I here? Why did I pay $300 to come to Richmond to be here? You know, and why do I want to travel this three-year journey that's going to be stressful? Why? So I think, you know, having that feedback actually helped. And it, you know, it was a way that made me stand out, you know, amongst program directors and, you know, being thankful that they offered that, you know, experience. And able to provide me that feedback to really help, you know, kind of accelerate, you know, my practice and preparation for my interviews, which happened the next year. Uh, so, yeah. And then the third day for diversity CRNA is that big airway workshop. You know, you can do all the skills like line placement, A-lines. You can intubate mannequins. You learn about spinals and regional anesthesia, you know, ultrasound guided procedures. You learn all the, all the nice, fancy, techy things in anesthesia. Um, at that third day, and you're able to really get hands-on into the simulated environment, into the OR, see the gas machine, see all the, you know, things that you prepare for, and then you, st- and you get to really talk about, you know, things that you think about being an SRNA and being a CRNA, and really getting hands-on experience that you're able to really write about in your personal statement. You can write about it, you know, in your talk about it on your resume, and it's a great way to show programs that, like, hey, like I've gone to this conference, I'm not even in it, and I'm learning about the profession actively. And I think that was the biggest thing that it provides you after you have that experience for that weekend is you can write about it in your personal statement. 
Absolutely. And definitely please reach out to Kyle. If you have any questions about diversity, you've gone to a couple events and I know you're, it's, it's such a huge opportunity for people. If you can attend to attend. So for people who say can't go to diversity, you've gone also gone to your state meetings. So this is another option. I think the a big takeaway. Yes is you're connecting with program directors, you're figuring out your why, but connection is this big piece and something that you are specifically really good at. So can you talk to us a little bit about, besides diversity, what are some other things you did to build connection? Oh, I mean, besides emailing them, like <laughs> asking all these questions about like, hey, like, do you take this class or that class? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Tell us about that because I think there's a lot of anxiety about emailing programs. Like, yeah. who did you email? Yeah. Not like who, but like, how did that go? You just shot off a bunch of emails? Uh, I was strategic. Um, I think every pretty much email that I sent, um, at first when I was getting ready to apply, I was looking at my transcripts, trying to get my grades like, cause that's the biggest things, right? You don't, if you don't have the grades, you're not getting there. So I'm figuring out like, you know, I'm doing a master's degree, but I still need to retake classes. So I'm emailing programs like, Hey, if I take this class, do you average it? Or do you fully replace the grade? You know, like what are some, uh, just like, do you do transcript reviews? I'm emailing programs of interest and mind you, I've, I applied to a lot of programs. So I'm sending emails because I think that in my superstitious mindset that, you know what, like I'm, I'm talking to the program, I'm interacting with them. I'm asking them about their program or do they have any open houses or anything for like people who are interested, like what's, you know, some things we should look out for. And, you know, I got responses back in some programs it was pretty vague. Uh, but I think that was a good start in me interacting with the program already that, that in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm already kind of making an impression because I'm, I have a paper trail of like me actually actively inquiring about their program. So I think that was maybe in my mindset. I'm like, this is a way that I'm standing out. And then also I think as far as building connection, when you talk about state conferences, that was a big piece after I went to diversity CRNA and actually I met the old Dominion programs director and she told me about the event. The next weekend, that was in Northern Virginia, and I live in Northern Virginia. So I'm like, oh, great, cool. I can go to a state conference. It's like 30 minutes from my house. Don't even have to get a hotel. Just sleep in my bed. Perfect. So she sent me the information for that. I spent $75, and I attended. And so I pretty much saw um, a lot of legislative leaders within, you know, like the, the Virginia PAC Political Action Committee. I was able to see a lot of CRNAs that worked in Virginia. Um, and then I was able to interact with them and I was able to talk to program directors who are in Virginia, who I've just seen. So I was another, you know, show face kind of thing. Like, oh, we see him again. Oh, he's actively here. He actively cares about the profession. I think you making that connection and also, you know, not being a lot of people are scared to kind of talk to program directors or, you know, they're kind of nervous. They don't want to say the wrong thing or whatever. But I think for any advice, if you're going to an event like ANA or your state conferences or even you're going to open house in person. Go up and introduce yourself and, you know, find a commonality, you know, tell them where you work and, you know, just be personable, you know, because at the end of the day, they're people, too. And they want people who they have good, have a good vibe with, you know, and that's pretty much what I did was I was just networking the room, introducing myself. I even went up to some of the, some of their booths. And I think, I, <laughs> you know, they have the CRNA businesses and whatnot. And I was looking at, you know, buying some apparel, showing my support, you know, and. I think one of the conferences I actually met Luke at, we actually donated to the pack. Okay, <laughs> which was like, I'm not, okay, I'm not like, not saying everybody needs to go out and donate to their pack, but like low-key exactly, no, genius, no, no. but like kind of amazing. <laughs> like what? Let's, exactly. Let's, political Action Committee, we'll explain this really quickly to anybody who doesn't know. Each state, so basically... Big picture, um, CRNAs can practice independently. We want every state to have the ability for CRNAs to practice independently. Not every state mm -hmm. has this. These states are called opt-out states. They're opting out of medical supervision, of anesthesiologist supervision. This has to do with medical Medicare reimbursement. Look it up. It's online. Um, to become a more uh, independent state, you have to get politicians to back CRNAs. And how do we do that? We have these political action committees. Basically, we donate money to our states, the VANA um, Virginia PAC. We donate money, we raise money, and then we go to lobby with our state politicians and then also nationally as well. Um, at the end of the day, money talks, so we're always trying to raise money. So, <laughs> Kyle <laughs> and Luke. You said it better than I could have explained. Like, that was like picture perfect. Like, that is what I, I, I say this probably weekly. I'm like, here's the rundown, this is the thing. Because everybody's like, I don't understand opt out states. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. Um, so you guys donated as RNs to this greater cause that we are so passionate about as CRNAs. We're trying to always uh, advance our 
opt-out state status nationally, right? And you guys as RNs donated. Yep. I heard pictures were taken. I heard there was applause. Like, was it this whole thing? <laughs> maybe Luke <laughs> yeah, blew this out of the water. Maybe he was like, <laughs> maybe he made it this big thing. But I was like, wow, you guys did. They like took a picture of you, right? Well, I, I think the president or whatever, he was actually... I think or he called used it you out, picture. called you guys out and said. Yeah, basically called us out afterwards because he's like, look at these guys over <laughs> here. You know, these guys donated to the pack and they haven't even gotten any They don't even have any money. Why can't you guys donate? Come on. Exactly. Kind of, he, he used it perfectly to kind of like guilt trip the CRA yeah. who are donating. Like, look at these guys. <laughs> and they're not even providers yet. You know, so I think it was a good way. For me, me and Luke, we stood out, but also I think that 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 means something, you know. Because how do you want to you want how do you want to go into a profession that you don't even care about? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do you want to do this and you don't even care about it? Right. So I think that was a good way for uh, you know a way we stood out. Even if it was twenty five dollars, or twenty five dollars got me into school. I said. Yeah, right. <laughs> Talk about the ROI on that. So definitely recommend attending the state meetings. Plan ahead. This is why the planning process is so important. Had you known, I mean, you got lucky. You were near that Virginia meeting, you know, thirty minutes oh, away. Yeah. But I would want to encourage everybody to take a look at the programs that you're interested in the next year because sometimes these meetings only happen once or twice a year. And you want to, yes, you want to go to open houses, but sometimes those are virtual. If you can show up in person to a meeting, that is extremely valuable for all the reasons Kyle just mentioned. Um, And you got to plan ahead for that because you want to request the time off. You might take a flight, like, like, would you say that booking the plane ticket, going and staying in a hotel is worth it to you? I say it. It ain't cheap. It ain't, it ain't cheap. cheap. Some 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 conferences, it can be you know three hundred, four hundred just for the ticket, you know. But great, grateful for you know Vanna, you know ours was like student rate is only like seventy five bucks. So I was like cool, you yeah. know. But you know some some states, you know they you, you got to pay some good money yeah. to go to these conferences. But I feel like for me, I would say if this is one of your top, I'm I would say if this is your top three program, you know you want to go there. And you know that that program director or that faculty is very involved with the state, you know, on the CRNA level, you need to go. Mm-hmm. You need to go. It's, it's worth it just because that's another thing that you can put on your CV. It's another thing that you could talk about in your resume, in your personal statement. And it's just a good way for you to already, you know, network with the programs. Like I said, you know, most program directors are actively involved within their state. They're actively trying to make change for CRNAs. And that's where you can really stand out and, you know, and put yourself out there and talk to students, you know, and especially talking to students of, I'll say this, I'll say this actually, this is a big thing too. Talking to the students, the students, you know, have their impressions about you as well. You know, they're kind of, they're not, you know, subconsciously doing it, but they're looking to see too, like, you know, like who maybe you want to keep our eye out for, you know what I'm saying? And if you make a good impression, you know, like I said, the students, they're close some programs they're really close with their program directors and their faculty members, mm-hmm. and they go in and say like, "Oh man, this applicant like he he's a great person or whatever, or he had a great conversation or he brought up something really good or he asked questions or whatever." Like students talk to their faculty members, you know. And so even though it's not the official process, but it kind of is the unofficial process of you seeing like, can you be a fit with our cohort mm-hmm. that we're trying to bring in? Like, are you a personality type that we like or that we would look for? Mm-hmm. You know. So that thing that's another you know unwritten thing about the application process is really talking to the students that, that go to the program. Yep, and they'll tell well. you. They'll tell you their honest opinion. You can read it. You can read it on their faces. You can get the vibe. You can watch their interaction with their professors yep. and their program directors. Um, and the other thing is also many SRNAs sit on interview boards, but also from their perspective, they're going to be mentoring you at, from like senior to junior. Um, and then also shadowing. If you're having problems shadowing a CRNAs, oh. if you can't find CRNAs to shadow, Go to your you go to your state meeting and you'll just there will be many for you. They're there. Shadow. They're there. Um, they're- so there's such a big ROI. I know the conferences are expensive. Also, I want to encourage people to email them. I know there's not always an RN rate. Sometimes it's like non-member. Email them and ask if you can pay the student rate. Many, many of them will just say yes. Please come or show up. Literally, just show up. And there might be like yep. a day of registration, but just be like, I'm a, like, I like for you, you were in school. You're like, I'm a student, but, um, you're also an RN, but just tell them just, I'm an RN. I, you know, could I potentially pay the student rate? These conferences yeah. cost a lot because you're paying for the CEs and the speakers, 
you're getting that like education credit money and you're not necessarily going to claim that education credit money um, as an applicant and because they have to submit that and pay for that. So you're, you're not trying to pay for that. They're like, you just come, whatever, it's fine. So definitely exactly. do that. Um, okay. So that was a lot of gems right there. Thank you for sharing all of that. I just really want to encourage people to get involved with diversity CRNA if that's something that's an option for you. And if it's not, then go to your state meetings or national meetings. Um, or the CRNA club. Or the CRNA one. club. What's up? <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, okay. So I kind of, what, what were some unexpected things about the application process or the acceptance process that kind of surprised you or maybe threw you for a loop or that was a little unexpected? If anything, a few things. Uh, I was just really surprised at how quickly, like I said this earlier, how quickly you build a community of people who are applying to schools, and like, like if it's your coworkers or you go to a conference and you meet other, you know, ICU nurses from in different parts of the country or whatever. All the networking that goes into it in the community that you build is kind of like you form like your own kind of cohort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of sort of say mm-hmm. like when you know you guys are about to apply within the year or you've already applied and you're waiting to hear back you really build the sense of community even if it's across social media or whatever i thought like i me and a few other people we got our own little cohort from the conferences like 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 for me and luke you know we mm-hmm. went to the conferences and like we were like yo we're in this together and look we got in we're classmates you mm-hmm. know so i think that was one of the unexpected things about the process i i didn't feel alone at all in the process because there was other people that were going through the process just like me. So that was very unexpected. Um, Another unexpected thing about the process is once you actually apply and you start interviewing and you're waiting to hear back, it is the worst feeling ever. It is the worst feeling ever. I promise you just because it's like that. Oh, you're going to, we're going to hear on this date. So I'm, you know, you're searching on all nurses. Refresh, 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 refresh waking up like what if I don't get in or you know it's just in the process of waiting it's 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 a little unbearable but you get through it you know <laughs> and I think you after you interview you just sit there and critique yourself so much to the point like oh my god why did I say that oh did I dress well oh to my breasting all this other stuff like man did they like me you know it it, it it's definitely a, an area where you can find yourself with a lot of self-doubt it can kind of like take over you feel like oh I didn't get in oh I didn't answer this question right you know, oh my God, I didn't remember the PA pressures, you know, that they asked me about or, you know, what happens to my blood vessels when my CO2 is up, you know, those questions like that. I'm like, wait, did I answer this right? You know, what's the mechanism I'm asking on Presidex and I'm going back after my interview and reviewing it. Did I say alpha 2 or did I say beta? What came out of my mouth? (laughs) Yes, exactly. You try to verify my answer, but yeah, the waiting process as far as when you're you're waiting to hear back, it's definitely a, it's don't underestimate it because it, it sucks. But, you know, once you get that, yes, it, it, it all was worth it at the end of the day. So those are a few things that I felt like it was real unexpected is the community building and then the waiting process. And then also, you know, making a decision. Uh, I will, I'm going to go to this because I actually asked you, mm-hmm. uh, like, hey, like, what should I do? Like, I got in the you know, school. It starts, you know, in August. And I'm like, man, like, you know. But this was not your top choice. You got in, but this this is not not my top choice. choice. Right. Okay. So this, just to set the stage, Kyle had been interviewing. He heard, he happened to, the the timeline worked out where he interviewed and got into a program that wasn't his top choice. And you had not interviewed for your top choice yet, right? You haven't even heard back that you got an interview or did you interview? I actually didn't even, I didn't even heard back. I know I I just got my applications in. Um, um, I'll say I interviewed in, I interviewed for this program in January and I heard back around, I think March or April. And when I got, I got into VCU in August, we weren't even going to start hearing back until the tentative date was May. So I'm I'm in March and I've already got off the wait list. I first got waitlisted for this program. So, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. And then, you know, program director calls me like, Hey, you know, you think you got the grit, kid? You know we want you to come here, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you hadn't even had your. So this was your second choice. You got in. You're like on the spot. You got to make a decision, right? We're kind of on the spot, but um, and then you haven't even gotten in an interview invite for your first top choice program. So there was this question exactly. mark of like, I think I'm gonna get an interview. Well, crap, but I don't know for sure because I haven't gotten one yet. It's not till later. So, okay. So you got accepted and then yes, tell us what happened then. 
Yeah, so I tell, I tell her yes, you know, my verbal acceptance. And then I actually have to officially accept and pay my deposit afterwards. Right. And so I, I take the weekend to think about it. And, Smart. and that's when I reached out to you and you, shoot, you were like, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to sway you. And I was like, she's right. She can't sway me to do anything. But she offered, you offered me some good advice and to think about it. So my suggestion. You know, weigh all the facts. Yes. Yeah. So my suggestion was I'm very conservative and obviously not knowing your full story. My suggestion was, Hey, you got into school. You need to secure your spot. You don't know what's going to happen with BCU. You don't know if you're going to get an interview. You don't know if you're going to get in. You want to, you want to become CRNA, but this is where you listen to your gut. You knew all the networking that you had done. You knew, you knew, right? So you made your own decision, which worked out. And mind you, and mind you, Sachi, I it was not even just VCU. It was like my top four programs. I had not even I had submitted all my applications. I hadn't even heard from none of those programs. Okay, okay, okay. So my, there was four op- four my, other options for you. Four other options, okay. and I still applied to three or four more other schools at that. Okay. So thinking about this was I knew I wanted to start CRNA school in 2024. That was my goal, overarching goal that I wanted to shoot for. I wanted to give myself a year of break, you know, just from between my master's and starting a, a DMP program. I wanted to give a break. So I was like, all right, I want to start in 2024. Program that I got off the wait list for, the first program that I interviewed, it started in August. And so I'm like, oh, man, like, and they're asking me for two grand. And two grand, is I mean, I'm trying to save for school. I'm like, I don't have two grand just to be, you know, giving up. And especially if it's not my top three, you know, and and so that's when the decision really, it was it was tough to make, but I turned it down. Trusting my gut and the, and the advice that you gave me was like, I, I have not even heard from any of my top four schools yet mm-hmm. in that I actually want to start. And mm-hmm. also, I wasn't comfortable with the price tag of the program. Mm-hmm. It, it, 100, 150 grand right off the top, private institution, and it was relatively still a new program at that. So talking about the factors of when you're choosing programs, it's definitely, it's not just, you know, clear cut, you know, it's not just the grass is green that, oh, well, this program's like 10 minutes for me. I just want to go there and call it a day. Like, there's so much that goes into you picking a program that's going to be a fit for you. It, there was too many things that I felt like for this program that I got stepped to off the wait list, it wasn't going to be a fit for me. And also because they, they front load and there's a lot of classes online. And especially like a lot of the core science classes that they have for their program, it's all online. I didn't really feel like that would be a good program that I wanted to for best for my learning. I felt like that that's not comfortable for me. I wouldn't want to be the first year and a half of my program online, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are the things that really went played into my decision making of me actually turning it down, and then just having sheer terror. Like, what did I just do? <laughs> All the way leading up to August to accept it. So I was just like, oh my gosh, I probably should have accepted. What do I do? Good Lord. I just, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's another applicant out there that's thrilled to accept the spot. Absolutely. For them. And that's also probably going to be a better fit for them. Mm -hmm. You know? So handling that process is, you know, sending a professional email. And I will say, as far as advice, letting the program know early. You know, Mm -hmm. don't leave them on. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to get their cohorts and stuff ready as well. And just be respectful and just send be like, hey, you know, I've decided you don't have to get all into detail of who you want to wait for. And I will definitely say don't email the program asking them like, oh, when am I going to hear back from from this program? Because I got an acceptance here. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh -uh, Don't do that. But just send an email and just say that, you know, I've decided I'm not going to go through with this um, program. You know, you wish them the best in their future endeavors and who they choose for the next incoming cohort. That's going to be a better fit for them. Mm -hmm. And you leave it at that. We'll run into this person again. Probably they know somebody that you know. Five years from now, when you're looking for a job, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Kyle, I remember him. Don't burn the bridges because I'm going to see them probably at the state conference probably within a few months. So let's be professional and let me let them know early, you know. So it's a a difficult call, but, you know, I think for me, it worked out in the end. I put up this poll on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to get a feel for, okay, what's everybody struggling with in the application process? What, What are we missing here? And I think the questions were, like, feeling like I'm not good enough imposter, organization, um, not knowing what to do to be competitive and like one, one other thing. And I was surprised. I was thinking, oh, logistically, like I'm very, uh, action task oriented. So I'm like, what can I do to help you like figure this out? What's our next steps? Let's go. But the answer that everybody chose was like 90% of people 
felt like an imposter. They felt like they weren't good enough, felt like they didn't have what it takes, and just felt like they weren't comparing um, or measuring up to everybody else who was applying, which 90% of people are saying that. So everybody's, you know, in the same boat. But did you, can you resonate as an applicant? Could you also resonate with that? And like, did you feel some feelings similar to that during your application process? And can you speak to that negative self-talk and maybe how you overcame that? Yeah, uh, I agree with you that most people I, I talk to as well, they feel like that, you know, the run of the mill answers of like, am I smart enough to be a CRNA? I can't work for three. I can't afford to, you know, not work for three years. All of these things that we tell ourselves to talk us about out of doing it and traveling the journey. Uh, I honestly will say that the application process for me, I felt I faced a lot of self-doubt, especially during my interview because I felt confident as an applicant just because of all the networking that I undertook and did and did the groundwork while I was applying. You know, I, you know, dotted my I's, crossed my T's, did my mock interview practices, had my, you know, personal statement looked at three or four times. You know, I did at least 30 something odd hours of shadow. And I think the self-doubt really sets in is when you actively take those steps of being that competitive applicant, it makes you self-doubt yourself more because it's like, Oh, I got my CCRN, I got my CMC, I got my CSC, I got my, you know, NCRN and all these other run-of-the-mill alphabets. Like, I did all these things. I shadowed. I got leadership experience. I was charge nurse. I do balloon pump and Pella. I take fresh traumas. You're doing all of the things, and it's like you get a denial, you get a wait list, or, you know, going through the process of, like, you talking to other people who are applying. You're like, man, do I even measure up to this person? And you start comparing yourself to other people you see on social media, your nurses who are applying who are in the ICU and like, oh my God, like this nurse has 10 years of experience, you know, and I have two or, you know, you start to really do in the self-comparison process. So I feel like for me, I knew as far as my journey, I knew that I was trying to be the best competitive applicant I could be. The time where I really felt, felt the most self-doubt was after I got waitlisted two times. That was where I was just like, I don't know what else I could do. <laughs> I felt like my interview went well. You know, and mind you, I interviewed for programs who weren't my top choice. But the fact that I was like, kind of like that, that, uh, that feeling of like, how dare you wait this me? You know, <laughs> you weren't even my top choice. I wasn't even going to give you a rose exactly. tonight. You weren't even going to get a rose. I did all these things. Yeah. Like, you don't like me? Like, like how could you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, how could you not? Like, look at me. Yeah. Like, I've done all this shadowing, you still don't want me. But then, you know, like, you like go through that period of, like, a day. Yes, you're feeling, like, a little insulted. But then you're like, you know what? There's so many nurses out here who have their CCR and so many nurses who have five, six years of ICU experience. And you're just like, it's competitive. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. It's hard to get out of that mindset, especially if you don't come from, you know, an upbringing or a background of kind of, like, persevering through a lot of things. and you Or you've coasted, you know, a majority of your career. You're top of your nursing class. You were Sigma Theta tall. You got the 4.0 GPA, especially for the 4.0 GPAs. I'm not going to lie. They're like, I'm going to chew it. You know, like, I, I'm going to get an interview. I'm going to get in. I have a 4.0. I don't need to do anything. It's not all about you know? that. Uh-uh. It's not all about that. It's not all about that. And I and I definitely feel like we do a lot of self-comparison. Even when I got in, I, people were asking me about, like, my stats, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I hate, personally, Sachi, I hate the word stats. I like, know. What are your stats? I know. I that it's so much more than I that. That's it. why. That's, that's like. It's so much If more. it was just stats, then why would getting, like, yeah, totally. Agree. Agree. Don't yeah, worry. so I feel like stats get you the interview. Stats get you the interview. But yeah, it, it's a process where you're going to feel self-doubt. And I really feel like a lot of people who are working in the ICU feel that self-doubt is because you're applying because you're probably at the top of your game in your ICU. You feel confident in taking any kind of patient on your unit. You're the go-to person to flip if you got to put a patient on ECMO or you got an EDD or CRT, whatever. You're that nurse, you know? So... And you want to be a CRNA, so it's like, man, like, do I measure up? Can I be that autonomous provider at the head of the bed versus just the bedside ICU nurse? Because, like I said, you're if you're applying to CRNA school, you're probably a master in your ICU. Not a master, but you know how to be. You a are. You are. Mm-hmm. You, you are. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like nurses we're such people pleasers. I mean, we don't give ourselves enough credit. Right. We don't give ourselves enough credit and enough self-talk, you know, and that's just because we let one person say like, oh, well, I have 10 years of experience. Oh, or I know somebody who applied and they didn't get it or whatever. It's so hard to get it. You, 
you talk to so many people who haven't traveled the journey mm -hmm. and who are scared to travel it, and they can easily talk you out of it. Right. And then you start to go down this hole of, like, oh, I'm not good enough. Are they oh, right? God, oh, they're person. right. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. What they said totally makes sense. Oh, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Or I'm a new grad. I only have a year of ICU experience. I'm not I'm not even smart enough to be a CRA. You mind you, I know people who've gotten in with just one year of experience. Totally. So, it's the big picture. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I feel like if I could give any advice to people who are feeling a sense of self-doubt or like they're not good enough, they're having imposter syndrome. Tell your talk, be nice to yourself, be kind to yourself. Because I feel like we don't do that enough in that remind yourself that you're or that critical care nurse advocating for patients at the bedside and be proud of that. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of us, we get so burnt out in the ICU and, you know, we're doing all of these things and it's easy to kind of just cash out, mm -hmm. especially during the application process and you're ready to start your next chapter of your life. Just see it through, stick it through, you know, have some perseverance and really talk to people who've been there and who are willing to mentor you, which is a big thing. Find people who are willing to mentor you or even to give you advice and fill yourself with the people that want to see you succeed because that propels you when you have those moments of self-doubt. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel like I'm good enough or I'm smart enough. Find those people who, and honestly, it wasn't even my my family, you know, my family or my partner, like they, they understood, but they don't really understand. Correct. You know, so and it will continue to be that way for the next three years. It's going to continue to be that way. So finding people who are traveling the journey with you is like the biggest game changer. It kept my head in the game, and you know, with through some patience, you <laughs> know, a couple tears, a lot of self doubt, a lot mm -hmm. of wine, wine at night. You know, I was able to get in. You know, and I just think I had a lot of good people around me from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to drive that point home to like find a community of applicants that you can, even if it's one or two other people, um, yeah. because they are going through it with you. And that is one of the things that I'm passionate about with the CRNA club is trying to connect. I can't help everybody. I try to connect people with other people who can help them. Um, you know, we went to the, the conference in Seattle this weekend and I met up with some of the people who showed up, but they were like, by the end of the trip, they were like friends themselves, like they had their own community of people now and they're now friends, um, encouraging each other through the process. You know, like I got kicked out of the club. They're like, no, like, Oh, we don't need you. Like we got this. Um, but that's like, that is like what it's about. It's finding those one or two people who you meet at diversity, who you meet at a state meeting, who you meet on social media, DM them. Um, speaking of social media, where can we, where can we find you? And I tell us about your blog. So, uh, about a few months ago, I knew I kind of wanted to, I know I always had a lot to say. And over the course of my nursing career, people have watched me go through the stages of my career. And they, they tell me I'm so motivational, I'm inspirational, you know, I'm a good role model. You know, I, you know, just telling my story to people and really getting them motivated who are either my former classmates, my nurse colleagues. People always tell me I really have a great motivating spirit about myself, and I definitely feel that genuinely. And I'm like, man, I have a lot to say. I just don't know how to say it, you know? <laughs> it's like I'm not a big social media person as far as, you know, like all the reels and the glamour of social media. It's whatever. hard. But I it's know hard. I had, I had, I had, exactly. I was like, I have something to say, though, you know? So I was like, you know, I want to start a blog, you know? And so I'm just like doing my research, kind of casual with it, you know, going on WordPress, like, how do you set up a blog? Yeah, totally. <laughs> a lot of work, too. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of work, too. And also, I knew I wanted to start something that meant, that meant I was helping others. You know, I'm, nurse, I'm a nurse educator. I'm a mentor to other people, even though I don't, ha I don't claim the official title mentor. You know, I have people who reach out to me. And I'm always, I've always been the person, like, I'm, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help watch you succeed and help you succeed. And I'm here to help you in any way. And so I feel like with Emergency to Anesthesia blog that I made, it kind of encompasses how I got to anesthesia. From my times of being a floor nurse, med surge nurse, my times of being an ED nurse, slumming it in the slums, of the slums and the trauma bays, you know? <laughs> I just think back to 2019, peak COVID, and just how, how, how tough of a time that was for nurses. Mm -hmm. And to see myself here now, about to, you know, enter into a doctoral anesthesia program, it's it's kind of like, man, like, this is what you're giving back to it. This is how I pay it for it. Through my blog or just being a mentor, just being a, a positive person in the anesthesia community, I think that's what it's for. Even though I don't know what I'm doing half the time with social media or WordPress, I don't even, I don't even know. But 
Hey, I'm just gonna do. I'm, I'm just gonna write. Same. Yeah, exactly. I'm just. I'm just gonna write, and we'll just see what happens. Awesome. <laughs> I will link that below. Emergency to anesthesia. A lot of good gems there. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. That was a lot of valuable information, and thank you for sharing your story. Just being really transparent about your journey from emergency to anesthesia um, and what that looked like for you, the ups and downs and, and being transparent about your, your wait lists and um, the struggles that went along with that. Are there any last words, anything that you would love to say, advice for our listeners, um, last words of wisdom here? Yeah, I will say how I tell everybody else, your, as far as program selection, it could be your number three or your number four, but that's somebody else's number one. And even if you get waitlisted or you get denied, getting denied or waitlisted does has nothing to do with you as a person. It has nothing to do with you being an autonomous critical care nurse. Don't shame yourself if you get a waitlist or a denial. Like many people say, if you got a waitlist, they probably wanted you. There's just not enough spaces. And then if you're getting interviews, that means you're competitive without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And lastly, when you get an interview, that's that is the moment that gets you into school. They, if you got an interview, they know you you can be a CRNA. Mm-hmm. That's what a director told me. Mm-hmm. He was like, "I know you can be a CRNA," but it was just my personal statement. He was like, "You kind of you know messed up with that." So he was like, "You know, but I'll mentor you over the next year. You can come get into my program." But I ended up getting into DCU. But yeah, the interview is what gets you into anesthesia school. If anything, that's the most important process. And stop worried about your stats. Not worry about that. Just do your best with them. Do the GRE, take the CCRN, whatever you need to do, retake classes. Just do it. But the interviews will get you in the of school. Right. I think that's great advice. And where our our self worth is not determined by whether or not we get into school the first time around. That does not determine whether or not we will ever be a good CRNA in the future, or if we're a good critical care nurse now. So thank you for sharing that with us, Kyle. So. All right. We will continue to follow your journey. So excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will talk to you soon.